Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, we uh, are again going to be talking about COVID-19 and the ramifications of the virus. And hopefully uh, we can, uh, even on this show, go back to some degree of normalcy talking about issues other than COVID-19. But this is what we have and this is what we will discuss. Um the further this goes, I, I'm I'm getting a sense, and this is just me personally, that um, this is all going to take care of itself. Obviously, God is in control, and we as believers believe that. But um, this is going to take care of itself, as many things do in the United States of America. And even though you and I, and and to a greater extent, other folks um, may be very very exercised about this yin and yang, the shut it all down crowd and the open it all up crowd and everybody in between. The tensions are palpable. They're real. Um, We can't deny that. But at the end of the day, in political terms, if you will, uh, this will all shake out at the ballot box. And I think as conservatives, we, uh, we tend to get a little scared that the numbers of people that don't think the way we think they should, um, uh, if we're faith-based voters, uh, voters that, that do not consult with the Most High God or refer to his scripture uh, to guide them as to who to vote for or what to believe on the issues of the day and how they affect their family. Um, if, if, if we we tend to think that the number of people that don't believe in God, don't believe in those Judeo-Christian principles that our uh, country was founded on, uh, we, we tend to think that they are, they're growing and they're going to get past that magical 50% mark and we're all going to be in trouble. Um, there's a lot of, lot of things to take into consideration. Um, and we're not going to talk in detail on voting, but I have on this show before as far as the percentage of people that do vote. Um, I've always said uh, the uh, get people out to vote crowd, you know, wants anybody and everybody to vote. And I, I've always said if you cannot tell me who uh, your representative currently is, the capital of your state um, the three branches of government and what they do, um, I would rather have you stay home. Now, please don't infer by that that I think there should be any degree of intellectual litmus test uh, for people to vote. However, I'm I'm quite content with the fact that our voter turnout is not anywhere near what it could be um, simply because there are a lot of people that do not have any degree of mastery of the issues of the day. And I think um, I'm okay with those guys staying home. But as far as this whole thing is shaking out politically, um, and I've done this on the show many, many times. Um, well, let me, let me just back up and read a little scripture. This is one of my favorite scriptures of all time. This is about fear. This is in Mark. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That is Mark 440. 
And what Jesus was basically saying at that point in time, if, if I may paraphrase, I'm certainly not a pastor but uh, or Bible scholar, but um, I think what Jesus was saying at that time is, hey, guys, you've been walking with me for quite a while, and you've seen quite a number of incredible things. You've seen miracles. You've heard things from me that bring the uh, the gospel or the, the Torah at the time um, to light, uh, in making it understandable. Um, so the the disciples, the apostles, any anybody in Jesus's orb um, had a front row seat to his teachings and saw firsthand uh, and heard firsthand many of the wonderful, amazing, miraculous things that Jesus Christ did right before their eyes. And lo and behold, another impossible situation would come up at some point in time. And the disciples would toil, spin, fret, bite their nails. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Jesus, in his loving way, um, answers them in Mark 440. Um, why are you still afraid? Do you still have no faith? Um most of our fear, ladies and gentlemen, is because of the unknown. And I, I will seed the obvious with the stock market in uh, in as much volatility as, as it has been uh, displaying recently and the unemployment numbers, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, it, it is very easy to be fretful and have a fear of the unknown. But one thing we do know is in the end, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he has told us not to fear uh, countless times in his scripture, and we should heed that warning. And and my point is, those of us that have been walking with Jesus Christ for any extended period of time, I have been saved for um, 34 years myself, um, you, you start to pick up some spiritual maturity to the point where, okay, this problem that I may be facing now um yeah, it, it, it may not be exactly like anything I've faced before, but I know who is exactly the same as he was in many problems in my life before, and that is the Lord. And so we can stay calm, cool, and collected when our fellow brothers and sisters in society who may not know Jesus, they're freaking out. And we have to take this opportunity to be salt and light and show them the gospel, lead them to Christ if they're not Christians, and and attract them rather than repel them. And as, as it seems to be, even though the virus uh, is abating, uh, the tension between humans and particularly politicians and dogged leftists and people on the right seems to be heightening even though the virus is abating. And that's that's not by, by chance. Um, at first blush, if you don't understand these things, that does seem to be rather illogical. But if folks on the left are using this for, as we've uh, stated many times on this show, for power grabs or financial gain and or both, then of, of course – the rhetoric's going to be ratcheted up. The legislative 
craziness is going to be at a fever pitch because they know that this crisis, as many crises in the past, will eventually um, end. So whatever they're trying to do, many of them, during this period of time, they know that the days to do that are dwindling. And when they're engaging in this behavior, and thankfully we have people on the right that are trying to stop them, there is inevitably going to be tension, regardless of if the virus is abating and the number of people afflicted is going down, the number of people dying is going down, um, things are slowly returning to normal. The tension is is still going to be high and, and raise. And, and our trick as Christians is to not be fearful, not be fretful, be calm, as it, as it uh, says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, during these times. And aside from God, you know, one, one of the more practical reasons, if you are on the right, that you should not fret as much as perhaps you are fretting at this point in time, is uh, our old friend Senator Santorum, who I have interviewed many times and had many personal discussions with. Great guy. Um, the famous line I always remembered from him when uh, conservatives would get all weirded out about election losses or legislation or executive fiat that seems to be contradicting, you know, uh, their way of life or their principles, he would say, Kurt, don't worry about it. They always overplay their hand. And Senator Santorum is correct. Um, if all leftists, if you will, were calm, cool, and collected during the, uh, the COVID-19 crisis and tried to get away with just a percentage of draconian, Orwellian, tyrannical measures, then I think we should be worried. Um, but it is in their nature, many of them, uh, as far as leftists are concerned, um, to simply continue to push. Um, there is, thankfully, in a very odd way, a fair percentage of leftists that cannot help themselves. They have no time or patience for the political temperament that is needed in order to perpetrate a lot of these um, uh, top-down statist type of edicts that they're engaging in now. They know it is in their best interest to play it cool and um, try to fake out the public. But, but many of them, and in an odd way, thankfully, are so doggedly left, um, Adam Schiff, um, Ortiz, or Ocasio-Cortez, um, and many, many others, they, they are not content with incrementalism when it comes to these draconian measures. They are pedal to the metal people. And, and what happens, and, and our first story that we're going to get to chronicles this, um, a representative in Texas speaking um, about what's going on in the state capitol in Austin says, um, and he puts it, you know, what I'm trying to say here quite succinctly, many of them are drunk on power. And I think the key word there is drunk. If you're drunk, you are not in your right mind. So if you're trying to perpetrate a fraud, 
on the American people, if you're drunk on power and you're really getting off on this this intoxicating power that you now have to shut down business, tank economies, destroy political opponents by tagging them to whatever's going on, in an odd way, a lot of them get off on that. And if they get off on that, it's very um, difficult to stop. Um, if you're the king and you get up every day and, and everybody's doing what you say, there, there's, a, there's a very interesting pathology there. And it's, it's hard to give that up. And these governors and mayors in, in certain areas that have just been wielding power left, right, and crazy, um, they're not going to give that up without a fight. And we'll get to how many of them are fighting to the bitter end. And my my point as far as politics or elections are concerned is that um, these individuals in the end make up a fair percentage of people on the left. It's not a great percentage, but it's enough that those folks will successfully turn off let's just say quasi-rational Democrats. And the end result of those Democrats that are perhaps a throwback to Democrats of yesteryear, Reagan Democrats or Democrats like my father that were would, would certainly not have a home in the Democrat Party today, those individuals um, are going to be turned off by the draconian measures that are happening in the states of Maine and California and Illinois, Massachusetts, um, and, and several other places, Texas of all places. And the end result of those individuals who are drunk on power, who, as Senator Santorum indicates, always overplay their hand, those individuals will end up alienating enough Democrats that Donald Trump will simply be reelected in the fall. And I may add several other politicians for that matter. Um, and, you know, if, if, if you're a student of politics or you think this is a cool sport to follow, um, start jotting down the names of some of these people who are not in, you know, liberal strongholds by any stretch of the imagination who have been acting tyrannical or dictatorial during these times. And if they are indeed up for a re-election, try to remember in November what happens to these folks, because many of these um, little and not so little dictators, if you will, are going to lose their jobs because of this. They, they really will. Um, they have pushed too far. And, you know, uh, oddly enough, um, I mean, we'll start with uh, with what's going on in Austin. And, you know, Texas, for the most part, is a pretty conservative state. But Austin, if any of you know, is um, is very, very to the left. I, I Most capitals of most states are controlled by Democrats. But in the belly of the beast, if you will, in Texas, Austin is a fast-growing repository for all sorts of leftists. And uh, this article is about um, 
a representative who um, just, you know, he's the one that, that, that quoted that famous quote, drunk on power. It says in Austin and other liberal Texas cities, um, these mayors are drunk on power um, as they uh, continue stricter coronavirus measures than those being implemented under state reopening orders. Texas Republican Representative Lance Gooden said Thursday. In an interview on Fox and Friends First, Gooden said that the contrast between the message from state officials, including Republican Governor Greg Abbott and Democrat city officials, has caused confusion among residents and business owners. Uh, he goes on to say the state has basically said restaurants and businesses, um, they have a choice of whether or not to open up. But the municipalities and the cities, they don't have that choice. They have to let them do it, Gooden said. Uh, and in liberal cities like Austin, you've got mayors who are just drunk on power. His words, not mine, but I agree with them. They've got their plastic bag bans. They've got the homeless roaming the streets, and they and they have said they can sleep anywhere on the sidewalks, and they love implementing policies that would never ever pass in the state house. Um, so this is the impasse that they have in Austin, where as the virus and the fallout from the virus is abating, and the numbers are getting better. Um, Austin is tightening the screws, as I chronicled about 10 minutes ago. Um, that At first blush, that doesn't seem logical. But if you're drunk on power and you know that this virus thing is going to end eventually, you try to squeeze as much juice out of that apple as you can. It's very sick, but that's what's happening in Austin. And, and one of the really Orwellian uh, moves by the um, by the mayor of Austin and and the uh, politicians in Austin, they're they're giving directives to restaurants who are indeed opening slowly but surely to keep tabs on patrons, i.e., hey Bob, you want a table by the window? Sure, this is your family. Great. What's your name? What's your wife's name? What's your kid's name? Where do you live? What's your email address? How about your cell phone? All under the guise of, well, if this person is ever uh, tested positive for the COVID-19 virus, our public health officials can simply, you know, put a trace on that. And it's all for public health, don't you know? I don't know about you, and I don't know about um, any leftist um, to one degree or another that's going to go into um, a burger joint and, you know, in, in the middle of bites of his cheeseburger, fill out a questionnaire that says who he is, where he's from, where he's been, uh, where he intends to go, what his phone number is, what his email address is, all under the, um, the guise of public health. I, I think that's very off-putting even if you're on the left. And this is what's happening in Austin, Texas. So we have that. Um, and believe it or not, in, in California, we're seeing the rumblings that the natives are restless and they're not going to take the edicts of um, Governor Newsom. And and before I start there, you know, many people think that um, – excuse me um, – 
that California is just a repository for lunatic leftists and, you know, all the crazy leftist things start there and they move eastward, which is, there's some degree of truth in that. But keep in mind, if you know anything about California, it, it's not all kooky left. It, uh, for the most part, for years has been about 55, 45 as far as Democrat to Republican. Um, I would think that has inched up a little bit recently, but it's still, it's nothing like you, many people would think, like 70% crazy leftists and a, a very small sliver of Republicans. There is a healthy amount of Republicans in the state of California. And and you know what's um, fascinating to me? That's why I'm not, I'm not a big fan of referendums. Or if I was educated, referenda, I guess that's the plural. I don't really know or care. But um, I, I'm not a big fan of referendums. I'll tell you why. Um, it, it is mob rule. It is a mobocracy. Um, and I, I think it's fascinating that people – will not get off their butts and go out and vote or just carelessly vote for some leftist that is going to implement some law that's just absolutely crazy and it has devastating effects. And only when the the effects of that law come to fruition and people have had it to the, to the top of their head and they can't get these incumbents out of office – do they come up with a, a referendum on you know one thing or another? And what's always been fascinating to me is in California, where everybody thinks everybody's far left, many of these referendums end up in lopsided victories for the conservative side of whatever issue it may be. Now, these um, propositions are summarily overturned by the courts out there, which is another interesting concept but it, it it always struck me as odd if if these referendums uh, if, if people go out and vote uh, to the tune of 70 percent turnout for a certain referendum well why can't you do a little research up front and see that this policy or that policy was a bad idea before you voted for this person or that person who was said that we're going to implement that policy. So I think the point I'm trying to make here is Californians, although they seem like live and let live people and they go with the flow and they're pretty far to the left, they indeed are defying many of Governor Newsom's edicts. And um, because as much as they may be live and let live people and, and um, somewhat on the left, they also like their beaches, and the, the beach closing is something that is being defied uh, regardless of political persuasion. Um, people are outdoors. They're very far away from uh, other beachgoers, and they just want to enjoy the sun and the surf, and they don't really see a big problem with it, nor should they. And when Governor Newsom um, closed the beaches, there was um, defiance across the board, and uh, some more defiance here comes from um, churches and, and people of faith in the state of California. This article says resistance from California churches threatens shutdown enforceability. Elected leaders in California say the state will remain shut down for the next few months 
but a growing number of religious leaders are disregarding that guidance, revealing that tenuous state of the government's ability to enforce orders on unwilling people. California Church United, which is an organization which represents about 3,000 churches, announced on Tuesday it plans to open churches on May 31st, no matter what Newsom says. Pastors joining the movement offered their positions on how they feel the governor has sidelined churches. And they state, we are, um, we're an essential part of this whole journey, and we've been bypassed, kicked to the curb, and deemed non-essential, since Dan- says Danny Carroll of Water of Life Community Church. And therein lies the rub. Um, you know, if, if you're fans of this show, you may have heard me weeks ago uh, kind of come down on the side of the state, if you will, in Florida when they when they um, told uh, Pastor uh, Brown to cease and desist holding um, church services. Now, if you, if you think that's inconsistent, let me explain. At that point in time, I mean, this this um, COVID-19 crisis is ever evolving. And as I have said on this show countless times, um, what I forcefully said one week, I can definitely renounce in two weeks because of things that we have learned. Um, at that point in time, we were very early in the process, not getting our hands uh, and heads around what was going on um, and defying the state in order to to uh, hold church services. At that point in time, to me, I wasn't strongly in favor of either of those entities, but I could see the state's um, I could see the state's point in wanting to um, get a handle on the virus. But as this article goes on to say a little later, that they had been you know dutiful citizens for seven weeks now, almost two months, and here here's the thing that that makes me at this point in time definitely side with the churches is we've had seven weeks uh, or eight weeks, if you will, of going through this. The numbers, particularly in a populated state like California, are nowhere near as apocalyptic as Governor Newsom himself um, and many other public health officials uh, warned us that they would be several weeks ago. The numbers are going down. The deaths are going down. And... Um, and I think the cherry on the Sunday, which is really igniting slash angering um, the open it up crowd, if you will, is the fact of the the arbitrary nature in which governors and mayors in these blue areas of the country are calling one thing essential and another thing non-essential. Now, you know, if, if we did live in a theocracy, or uh, and I was talking exclusively to people of faith, I think it's a slam dunk to assert that in times that are this crazy, um, church, the comfort church gives, the message that the pastor gives, any God-inspired message uh, that would be, you know, preached at a, at a structure, would certainly be in the category of essential, um, but we do not live in a theocracy, and I understand that, and I'm respectful of that. However, 
I think the cherry on the Sunday that ignites people to say enough is enough is things like the the hair salon lady going to jail in Dallas while the dog grooming um, uh, business next to her is up and well and people are going in and out all the time. The big thing that really makes everybody shake their head, and I've I've listened to enough leftist governors and mayors dance on the head of a pin with this one, is why are all the liquor stores open? Why are the beer distributors open? You close the church, but you can stand in line to get drunk and and um, and get as much booze as you could possibly put in your car and then come back and get more. Uh, stuff like that angers people. And Christians are respectful people. And the this, um, this pastor here said, we've sat on our hands for seven weeks and we've seen, you know, mayors and governors say that um, church is not a necessity. It is not essential. While liquor stores have been open through the through this in, in most municipalities across the country. Um, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania here, Governor Wolf, his business, a cabinet making business or whatever, they sell cabinets in York, Pennsylvania. They're um, They've been open the whole time. Are cabinets necessary for anybody uh, during a pandemic? No, they're not. But they've been open every single day. People are going in. People are going out. He refuses to release his list or his thought process on which entities were called essential and which um, were deemed non-essential. That's troubling. A lot of people... um, have put two and two together. Together, many of his donors are in the essential category, rather um, whether their business is essential or not, which is off-putting. So, the problem, and I've stated this several times, is I'm I'm very willing. I am not an anarchist on the right. I am very willing to be deferential to public health officials, epidemiologists, people that know a little bit more about this than I do. Very willing to to do that. But the um, the Orwellian rhetoric, the tyrannical rhetoric, the shut up and sit down rhetoric, the stay at home, shutter under your bed, and we'll tell you when it's time to get out um, rhetoric is is getting people angry. And it's motivating people. It's mobilizing people. And um, I don't even think it's going to, you know, I've I've said the word showdown many times. I don't even think it's going to be a showdown. I think it's going to be almost akin to um, a barroom brawl. You know, there, there are people in a barroom brawl where literally, if you've ever seen it, it's crazy. A hundred people are throwing punches at one another. And there are people now that that's something you don't want to jump into, um, but the analogy I'm trying to make is there are people that would never throw a punch at anybody at any point in time, but if everybody around them's throwing punches and there's absolutely nothing that the police or the bar owners can do other than just try to grab a few people and stop this thing, oftentimes um, they let these things play out. And again, I'm I'm not equating. Um, people defying their local or state municipality uh, or entity uh, to open up a business with people throwing punches in a bar room. But I, but I am making this analogy. When everybody's doing it, it becomes harder and harder and harder for the people 
quote-unquote, in control, um, government officials, police officers, sheriffs, um, to do anything about it because the people have spoken. And that's what's happening all over this country. There are literally, this thing's only been going on for eight weeks, there are literally thousands of uh, legal suits that have been filed against uh, small, medium, and large entities, uh, agents of the state, if you will, saying, you will not curtail my ability to make money. And in the case, back to this article here, these pastors are like, we have a First Amendment right to do this. And it might be a good time to read the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment or religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of, for people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Um, the article here says, on the government side, officials are emphasizing safety as the number one priority. Governor Gavin Newsom announced during a press conference last week that California is not going back to normal until a vaccine for the virus has been discovered. That's, that's a pretty strong statement. And I think the strongest statement that I've heard, I just heard it yesterday, and I, I couldn't believe it, but, you know, um, again, going back to what we had said earlier, so some of these people, they're really getting off on the power that they're wielding and the effect that they're, they're having on people. And um, this, um, let me just get this straight, this was from Los Angeles Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer. She said um, that the uh, L.A. County is not going to, to go back to business as usual anytime soon. Um, she said the city will likely remain locked down until at least July. Now, we at the, you know, we're in the beginning of May here, and somebody makes a comment um, in the second largest city in the United States of America – and, and the economy uh, of, of L.A. County, and they say, we will remain locked down until at least July. Um, this is at the risk of being a broken record. This is tyrannical. It is Orwellian rhetoric. And that's what is motivating people. When, when people are told to shut up and sit down, we're, as Americans, we're not chaotic, crazy people. But when we're told to shut up and sit down while the dog grooming business next to mine is, is up and running and I can't cut people's hair or my church can't meet, but there's a conga line of people going in and out of the liquor store at all hours of the day. Um, and I'm being not only told to shut up and sit down and get under my bed and shudder and fear, but I'm, I'm told with an attitude and I'm threatened. That's what gets people motivated. That's why these things are happening. Um, people in the United States of America, a free uh, society, do not want to be spoken to like that. They don't like these top-down edicts. 
And as I said earlier in the show, uh, you, you may think that, you know, we've lost it. Jesus is coming soon. Um, uh, Republicans are never going to get this or that. And, and, and that's not to say Republicans are uh, the, the home of conservatism because they're certainly not. But um, I'm telling you, rhetoric like this will take the average rank and file person that heretofore probably has never voted and get them to register to vote, particularly if they're one of these millions and millions of people that are unemployed and they're unemployed because some governor shut down their boss's small business and they may never be employed again uh, with that particular company. Um, article says, like many governors, Newsom is rolling out a phased plan for reopening. The state moved into phase two last Friday, meaning that bookstores and clothing stores could reopen at reduced capacity. Um, churches, along with um, gyms, So churches, along with gyms and movie theaters, will only be allowed to resume services during phase three, and they're at phase two now. Um, so, you know, Governor Newsom gives us a little tease. He says phase three is not a year away. It's not six months away. It's not even three months away. It may not even be more than a month away, Newsom said. We just want to make sure we have protocol in place to secure customer safety, employee safety, and allow businesses to thrive in a way that is sustainable. Um, the spokespeople for these churches says this attitude is unacceptable uh, for many church leaders who feel that their needs and the needs of their congregants have been shunted aside during the pandemic. Newsom is only one of uh, 10 governors who declared um an outright ban on church services in his original stay-at-home order, uh, along with Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, who um, we have an article on him as well. He's another individual that is not only telling businesses and individuals to shut up and, and stay home and hide under your bed, but he's doing it with threats and forcefulness like a, like a tyrant would do. Um, so the judge, John Mendez, um, up, upheld uh, Governor Newsom's um, edict, and he said that the church arguing that their First Amendment rights were violated was um, was not a, a uh, compelling argument. He, he states that during public health crises, New considerations come to bear, and government officials must ask whether even fundamental rights must give way to a deeper need to control the spread of infectious disease and protect the lives of society's most vulnerable, he wrote. Um, again, I'm not a crazy person, and the, and the, um, the judge here you know, it's not saying anything that outlandish, but I think what's motivating churches, 
the hair salon lady in Dallas and and hundreds, if not thousands of other Americans to just kind of rise up is is not necessarily taking a big issue with the judge's comment, but the selectivity of and the whimsical nature in which governors and mayors are um, playing fast and loose with these edicts. Um, if it was consistent, if it was logical, if it made sense, I think the natives, if you will, would not uh, would be not quite as restless. But as I said before, we'll put this to bed. Um, you know, if, if you're cutting human beings' hair and you can't continue to do that, but the dog grooming place next to you is cutting animals' hair. And they're doing a brisk business with pet owners coming in and out and sitting in the lobby and talking and everything. That's insane. That makes no sense. And that's what infuriates people. So our um, our next uh, issue here, uh, excuse me, our next article, House Liberals Flex Their Leverage in Pelosi's One-Sided Spending Bill. Um, and this is what I said before. That if you um, are a conservative and fretful and the world's coming to an end and these Democrats are going to get over that 50 percent mark and Trump's going to be gone. Not that he's a conservative or a liberal, but um, we digress. Uh, or this politician, this particular party is going to lose their power in the Senate or whatever. Not so fast. And I think this article kind of speaks to the point I was making earlier that um, a fairly significant percentage of politicians simply cannot help themselves. And when they have situations like the COVID-19 pandemic, they, they, they are so frothing at the mouth to, to shove their status agendas down our throat that they put off a lot of reasonable Democrats and this article kind of um, makes that point. It says the far left fringe of the Democrat caucus is flexing its muscle to try to implement last minute changes in a, and I can't even believe I'm mouthing this, but I'll try, $3 trillion spending bill. Wow. The small group of liberals led by Representative, um, and if I mispronounce her name, forgive me, Pramila Jayapal has unusual leverage. No Republican is supporting the spending measures, which means Democrats cannot afford to lose many in their caucus if they hope to pass the measure with a majority vote. House will vote on the measure um, actually tomorrow, and Speaker Nancy Pelosi is urging her caucus to support it. According to a top Democratic aide, a group of lawmakers um, participated in a caucus-wide conference call um, and they persisted with efforts to try to add a provision to the measure that would provide a basic monthly income for many workers. And we've discussed this before, um, the, the living wage thing and um, the living wage thing is something that um, I, I just the basic monthly income for many workers is just um, – it's something that is so ripe for demagoguery that I, I just don't even know where to begin. And I'm, I'm not going to, but 
Um, for the purposes of time, all you need to know um, when this cadre of uber leftists within the Democrat Party want to hold up um, a $3 trillion um, spending bill, uh, presumably a coronavirus spending bill. And we all know how much pork is in there. Um, when they want to hold it up and stuff more goodies in there, that is the quintessential definition of what I stated before, drunk on power, exploiting a crisis, overplaying your hand, um, all sorts of things. And um, these are the things that will drive conservative Democrats, reasonable Democrats, far away from the Democrat Party in general. Now, um, I don't know what that means uh, for Donald Trump. I, I think um, because he he's not um, he, a lot of the folks that I'm describing are not big fans of his either. But it 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 certainly does not bode well for getting those individuals out and voting a straight ticket. Excuse me, uh, ticket uh, for the Democrat. Um, it says Democrats excluded the pricey program from the measure and instead added another round of $1,200 checks that many Americans were going to get. Um, Jayapal called on Democratic leaders to postpone the measure to allow, to allow lawmakers to make changes. And basically what that means is they, they want more time to stuff more pork into this um, bill. So um, it says Democratic leaders have decided to forbid amendments and forge ahead with Friday's vote. Now, there, there's an example of Pelosi, who many call you know, a crazy leftist, understanding politics. Um, years ago, she was um, posed with a strategy of taking um, probably about 35 moderate, good-looking, young Democrats in selected um, precincts um, throughout the country and and kind of holding her nose at their, you know, blue dog, quasi-conservative rhetoric in order to gain back the House. And she implemented that and she became Speaker of the House again. So she knows how to stop when she needs to. Does she always? Um, no. But in this instance, it looks like a $3 trillion, the third or fourth, I can't even keep track, stimulus package is enough for her. It has enough pork in there for her that she um, is going to be keeping her um, more radical uh folks in her party at bay. So um, anyway, we, uh, we continue. This one, this, um, this article, again, hammers home the point that um, the dictatorial way many governors are acting uh, is certainly not going to be um, tolerated 
by more and more and more people every single day. This article says sheriff rejects call by Virginia governor to enforce lockdown as he cites the Constitution. Uh, an influential Virginia sheriff has rejected a request from Governor Ralph Northam's administration to enforce the business lockdown in parts of Northern Virginia. Culpeper County Sheriff Scott Jenkins said that he and other law enforcement were contacted to help enforce the closures in the area that reaches into Northern Virginia's Prince William County, which is home to many federal workers. But the sheriff, who has advised the White House and vowed to fight proposed gun grabs from the state uh, Democrats in the past, said he, that he will not help enforce Northam's Executive Order Number 61 that maintains the week's um, the week-long economic shutdown. So what um, what the sheriff has said here is he is um, not beholding to the governor. And he is beholding to the Constitution. And for some of you that think that's unusual, that the governor is his boss and he does what they say, um, there's precedent all over the place um, that uh, sheriffs all over our great land are not enforcing um, certain things that they feel are unconstitutional. Uh, It says in a Facebook message, Heads of law enforcement agencies in the Ramahonic, uh, no, I, I screwed that up, uh, Rappahannock, I'm sorry, Rapidan Health District were contacted today by the district health director, Dr. Wade Karshner. The purpose was to request assistance um, on the governor's enforcement of Executive Order 61. My response to that request is that we will not trample the Constitution. So that was a uh, that was a very simple response by the sheriff. Um, his decision was mostly cheered um, by many. It says one uh, comment said, "I love my sheriff. The governor is not a dictator. He cannot take away our constitutional freedoms just because he's been paid to see how far he can push us." Very interesting, and and I think. Um, and we have said this before, and we will say it again. There, there's a lot of moving parts to this COVID-19 crisis, none the least of which is um, a behind-the-scenes contingent of leftists that are looking at this as a Petri dish, basically a political Petri dish to see what can we do here? Because no doubt, until Jesus comes home, there will be other crises in this country, uh, financial, perhaps um, health crises, um, uh, wars, all sorts of things, terrorism. And this power grab that is that is happening um, throughout this nation, it, whether it succeeds or not, uh, to one degree or another, is a test, is a trial balloon, a test pilot, if you will, for many people. So don't doubt that um, there are certain people that are just taking this, as as this person says, um, as far as they can to see what happens. Um, if, if you look back at this and somebody told you, you know, two months ago 
that we're all just going to be staying inside and staring at each other because uh, somebody told us to. Uh, most of us, either on the left or right, would say you, you're crazy, but that has happened to a large degree, and and so this is a um, this is a test, and um, I think the the person that said this is absolutely correct that that Governor Northam wants to see how what he can get away with and what he can't get away with, and and he is not alone. So, um, kind of leads us to. Uh, one more. Um, I'm going to skip this one. Oh, I can I can go over it very quickly. We're running out of time here. The um, this one is uh, Governor Pritzker warns local leaders and businesses not to reopen without his approval. And again, uh, this is a broken record, but um, you know, it is not necessarily just the edict; it is the rhetoric involved. Um, to put it in perspective. The state of Illinois, who is who has been grossly underwater with all sorts of uh, financial mismanagement for decades, um, is a state with a population of 12.7 million people. That's a lot of people. Um, to date, they have 3,800 coronavirus deaths. Now, I, I don't have my calculator in front of me, but 3,800 people dying um, of uh, the coronavirus is too many, but I can tell you that 3,800 people in a state of 12.7 million people is a is a very much of an infinitesimal percentage, and for Governor Pritzker to engage in the rhetoric that he engages in is just over the top. It's a, he says businesses and individual professionals that are licensed by the state agencies will be held accountable for breaching public orders. Um, so it, he, if you see the video of him, he, he's very, when he says things like this, he's very authoritarian um, and it, it's very chilling. So he is uh, along the lines of a long list of uh, governors that have said, you know, stay at home or else, dot, dot, dot. And uh, we shall see what the or else is. And we shall also see if um, if people will do it. As I said before, people are defying these orders left, right, and crazy all throughout um, all throughout our country. So stay, stay tuned. Um, stay tuned. And, and this will all have political ramifications for our election for president in a few months. And... Um, you know, God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. So stay safe until next time. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Have a great day.